Well, on July 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress voted for the independence of our country from the rule and reign of Britain. While the vote happened on July 2nd, the declaration was not finalized until July 4th, making this Thursday the 243rd birthday of America's independence. Some of you are like, I thought it was summer, no education needed, but that's just, it's, it's July 4th week, right? And, and a lot of us this weekend, we are going to gather together for parties to celebrate the freedom of our country with the five F's of the 4th of July. Food, family, friends, fun, and fireworks. If you want to add a sixth F, just throw in fire department to the mix. You got the six F's of 4th of July, which by the way, thank you in advance to all the first responders who will respond to our stupidity this weekend. We thank you for, for that. I, I came across some, some quotes about uh, the 4th of July online. They're, they're humorous, maybe ironic, and I thought I'd share a few of them here with you. Here Here's the first one. Uh, let's enjoy this 4th of July by eating foods that would terrify our forefathers. Ain't that the truth? But it's so delicious. Like brats are so, so delicious. Here's uh, another one here. Happy 4th of July. Don't blow your face off. That's just sound advice right there, everyone. Uh, here's another one. Nothing says let's celebrate America quite like drinking beer and playing with explosives. That should just say America. It'd make, make a lot more sense if it just said drop the A, just America for all the rednecks out there. Here's a sound advice for the young people. Just a reminder that fireworks look even more amazing when you're not constantly checking your iPhone. Maybe that's good advice for all of us, amen? Just, just get off the phone and enjoy the, the fireworks and enjoy your family. Here, here's the last one. Uh, let's take a break complaining about America to celebrate America. Yeah, see, 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 here's the thing. The first four were funny. The last one has a little bit tone of seriousness to it, does it not? That, that last one, in fact, will elicit a different response in all of us. For, for some people, you might be thinking, celebrate America? What is there to celebrate right now? Others are thinking, yes, celebrate America. Stop complaining about it. All of us have a different response to that last quote I shared on the screen. But do you know Buckle up. The Bible actually tells us how we should respond to the government. It tells us how we should respond to the leaders of our government. And it's, it's our response to the government that I want to preach on today. And some of you are getting really, really nervous about now. If you're new here, by the way, my name is Jeff Manis. I am the lead pastor here. Although after preaching about politics from the pulpit, I may not be for very much longer. Uh, I, I promise though, I promise, I, I am not going to be choosing or promoting any side today. I am not gonna be promoting the right or the left, Republicans or, or Democrats. I'm gonna promote Jesus today, all right? Is that all right? So, so everyone can breathe a sigh of, of relief and, and literally, no matter how you're joining us today, if you're here in the auditorium, if you're on a video screen somewhere, I am just so glad that you are here. Uh, we're kicking off week number two, uh, or sorry, part number two of a summer-long sermon series we are in called Glory. This is part two. Uh, in this series, we're, we're taking the whole summer and we're walking through the last five chapters of the book of Romans in the Bible. Last week, we finished up part one of the series, talking about how the glory of God changes us. 
Today is part two of the series, starting part two, talking about how the glory of God unites us as believers. And then we'll finish the series, part three, talking about how the glory of God gives us purpose. Every week of the series, we've been repeating the theme verse for the series. Romans 11, verse 36 is the theme verse for the series, says this. For everything comes from him, that's God, and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. Help me out and say glory. glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. It's a powerful verse that then leads into the last five chapters of Romans. Now, the fact that we are talking about the government and unity seems counterintuitive, does it not? Like in my lifetime, I'm 44 years old, I'll be 45 in, in, in August. I don't remember a time when we've been more politically divided than we are in my lifetime than we are right now. Even among Christians, there is massive division. Now, okay, please hear me and understand. When I say united, I'm not talking about being united in our political parties or even our political policies. I'm talking about being united in our response to the government. Because as I said, as Christians, we are told in the scripture how we should respond to the government and the leaders of the government we find ourselves under. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, uh, first of all, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so glad that you felt it was safe for you to come, even though you probably knew you don't believe what we believe as a church. And I hope you know that, that you're welcome and loved here, whether you ever believe what we believe or not. And, and if that's you, this message is not a requirement for you today. You're off the hook. You can point at all of us and say, this is for you. It's not a requirement for you. I think it's just good advice for anyone, but it's not requirement for you. However, if you are a Christian, this is requirement for you, according to scripture. At the very least, if you, if you don't believe, you'll get to see today how we as Christians should respond to the government. Should. But I gotta be honest, when I look at how many Christians respond to the government and the leaders of our government, it's embarrassing. We should be ashamed of ourselves as Christians as a whole. So here's the big idea for today. It's on the screen if you wanna write it down and it's gonna sting a little bit. As Christians, our response to the government is not based on who's in the White House. It's based on who's in my heart. As Christians, my response does not come from who is controlling our country. It comes from who's controlling the universe, Jesus, who lives in my heart. So if that's the case, then here's the big question we have to answer today. How should Christians respond to the government? How should we do that? If the Bible tells us, main scripture, Romans 13, 1 through 7 we're just continuing on where we left off last week. Romans is in the New Testament portion of the Bible. Uh, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. So if you don't have a Bible with you or if you got another translation, you wanna follow along on the screens, it'll all be there. Uh, so don't worry. If you don't own a Bible, don't leave without one. Ask for one at guest services. We'll put one in your hands free of charge. Romans, as we've been telling you, was a letter 
written by a man named Paul to a group of Christians in the actual city of, of Rome around 58 AD. So about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. Last week, Fred, one of our, our residents, he said he felt like he got the boring passage, right? Which, which, by the way, if you missed last week's message or the one before that, the last two weeks, go back and watch or listen to those. Both Fred and Pastor Andy did an amazing job wrapping up part one of the series. And if you want to see uh, the, the greatest contrast between black church and white church, go watch the last two weeks. <laughs> just saying. I just want to say if Fred got the boring passage, I definitely got the controversial one. <laughs> I'm starting to think I should have given Fred this passage, and I take last week's one, because the two things they say you are never supposed to bring up, religion and politics, I'm combining them into one message, all right? So here we go, Romans 13, starting in verse one. If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right, you said it, so don't get mad at me. Romans 13, verse one. Everyone must submit. We're off to a roaring start. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. The official theological term for a sentence like that is called an oh crap moment. It's the official term. <laughs> you see, we all like that verse when the person we voted for or the party we belong to is in office, when they're in control, right? Like I heard lots of Christian Republicans quoting that verse when Bush was in office. I heard lots of Christian Democrats quoting that verse when Barack Obama was in office. And newsflash for some of you, you can be a Christian and a Democrat. Yeah, newsflash, I know, for some of you. I'm getting myself in trouble today. I'm just letting you know right now. I don't even want to repeat what I've heard from either side since Trump's been in office, so I won't. Like, no one's left out of this command, right? Pretty sure everyone means everyone. Everyone must Submit. Why? Well, he tells us why in the next verses. For all authority comes from who? From God. Do you see how this already ties in with Romans 11:36? For everything comes from him, exists by his power, and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever. Amen. Everyone must submit for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. In the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel says that God removes kings and sets others in place. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. Like I said, this is a theological oh crap moment. Keep in mind, I'm just reading the text. I've not even started preaching yet. Like after this message, instead of going to three services for the summer, we might go to one after this message. I'm just telling you right now. Like our response to the government is not based on who's in the White House, it's based on who's in my heart. And as a Christian, since Jesus is in my heart and for his glory alone, I'm expected to respond a certain way. Now, yes, we should be informed. Yes, we should vote. Yes, we should be involved in the governing process. Yes, we are allowed to even disagree. But inside of the freedom we have in America, according to scripture, we're to respond a certain way. So how should we respond to the government? Number one is this, submit as to God. 
submit as to God. I should count how many amens I get today. It's going to be pretty few. Paul, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, said everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. Or in other words, our response to the government should be to submit as to God. The word submit, by the way, in the original Greek language that it was written means, literally means I place under or I come under authority. Albert Barnes, theologian in his commentary said this, this word submit denotes that kind of submission which soldiers render to their officers. It implies subordination, a willingness to occupy our proper place to yield to the authority of those over us. So this is a conscious choice. It does not mean they have earned it. It does not mean they deserve it. It does not mean they are worthy of it. But because Jesus is in my heart and because his word says so and because of the glory of God and for the glory of God, I submit to governing authority for all authority comes from God. Or at least I should submit, put it that way. But, but Paul isn't the only person and Romans isn't the only place in the Bible that actually says this. Peter, one of the original disciples of Jesus, in his letter, 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, he says this, for the Lord's sake, not for your party's sake, not for your government's sake, not for your family's sake, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king or president as head of state, or the officials he has appointed. And by the way, do you know who the governing authority for these Christians was when Romans and 1 Peter were written? Emperor Nero was the governing authority when both Paul and Peter said, submit to governing authority. If you don't know, Nero, emperor of Rome, was known for his tyrannical acts of violence, his life of pride, extravagance, debauchery, and all things weird and vile. He became emperor at the age of 16. Can you imagine your 16-year-old being emperor, right? They already think they are anyway, and this was official. A few years after becoming emperor in 59 AD, about the time Rome was being written, Nero had his own mother murdered, just killed her. Believing then that his first wife had an affair, he had her killed. He married a second woman and had her killed when she became pregnant by literally the way he killed her was by kicking her in the stomach until she and the baby were both dead. A problem arose with his third wifely interest because she was already married. So he forced her husband to commit suicide and then married her. At one point in his life, he married a slave boy had him castrated, brutally raped him, and then made him dress in empress clothing while they were out in public together. For fun, to let off steam, Nero was known for tying boys and girls naked to a pole, then putting animal skins on himself and pretending to tear them apart as a wolf. That does not even account for the absolute brutality and cruelty in which he treated Christians throughout his reign. Under Nero's reign, Christians were arrested, tortured, and executed for fun. 
Some were thrown to the beasts in the Colosseum. Others were burned at the stake or, or crucified. Nero would have opulent parties in the garden of his palace. And for light in his garden, he would cover Christians with tar, impale them on a pole, and light them on fire to illuminate his garden for his parties. It was under the government, led by the authority of that man, in which Paul said, submit to all governing authority. That gets real, real quick. Does it not? And by the way, for decades before and after Nero, it wasn't much better for Christians. Like that whole season was not good. Now, I know what you're asking because I asked the same thing. Well, how far does this submission go? <laughs> Albert Barnes, again, theologian in his commentary, said this, the word submit that is used here does not designate the extent of the submission, but merely enjoins it in general. The general principle will be seen to be that we are to obey in all things which are not contrary to the law of God. When, when the laws of this land command any moral wrong, then it is our duty to refuse submission but beware, in doing so, it might end your life, which is what was happening for these Christians. But until that point, until the laws of the land violate the moral law of God, we are commanded to submit. Our response to the government is not based on who's in the White House. It's based on who's in my heart. So since Christ is in my heart and in order to bring him glory, how should I respond to the government? I should, I should submit as to God. Then Paul continues, and it's not going to get a whole lot better. Romans 13, 3 through 5 says this. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. It's hard to put that together with what was happening for Christians, right? The authorities are God's servants sent for your good, but if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. So he brings back to this point, you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. I wanna focus on that, on that one phrase Paul said, do what is right, okay? Now, yes, it is assumed in scripture that we as Christians should live moral lives. Our lives as Christians should look differently morally and spiritually than those who are not Christians. That's what the whole first part of the series was about. The glory of God changes us. But here, when it says to do what is right, it's not necessarily referring to moral living. It literally means to do good works or to do works of good. So not only should we submit as to God, but our response, number two, is this, to seek to do good. We should seek, as Christians, to do good. Here's a statement that I hope resonates in all of our hearts and becomes maybe a mantra for our souls. Christians should be the best citizens of any government they find themselves under. We should be the best citizens simply because we have the glory of God living in our hearts. 
that regardless of what country we live in, regardless of, of what government we are under, regardless of who is in the White House, who controls the House or the Senate, who wins the next election, who lives in the governor's mansion, who is the mayor of the city, regardless of who the leaders are, we should as Christians work for the peace and prosperity of whatever community we find ourselves living in. And before you get your panties in a wad, that last statement was actually straight from the Bible, not the panties one, that would be weird. But the one, the one, about, the one about peace and prosperity is straight from the Bible. Jeremiah 29, verse seven. God, through Jeremiah, says to his people, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. In other words, work for the success of the government you're living for. Pray to the Lord for it. In other words, ask God to do good things for it. For its welfare determines your welfare. And what city was, was God talking about? What city was he saying through Jeremiah to work for the peace and prosperity of that city? Surely it was a city run by a godly king who, who supported and upheld all of God's laws, right? I mean, surely he offered religious freedom and liberty. Nope. The city he was referring to was Babylon, ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar, the very king that invaded and ransacked Israel, killed thousands of Jewish people, and took with him back to Babylon as slaves the best, most successful, most educated Jewish people in the land. At one point, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered that everyone bow down and worship a gold image that he had made in the image of himself. If you didn't worship that image, you'd be thrown into a fiery furnace. Three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not bow down to the furnace. They were thrown into the fire to die. Now, yes, I know the rest of the story. God rescued those three young men, and Nebuchadnezzar even had a change of heart for a while. But this remained a highly pagan, incredibly wicked government and culture to which God said to work for the peace and prosperity of that government, to do and pray for good things to be done in it. Essentially, here's what God is saying to us. The place in which you live, regardless of who's in authority, should be better because my children live there. Our community should be better because Christians are there. We should seek to do good regardless of who's in the government. And church, this is why outreach and serving our city will consistently remain one of the highest priorities for our church. It's why last year we added a free indoor playground right here on our property. We saw it as something our community needed, and so we just provided it for free for the community. Over the 12-year history of our church, no matter who has been mayor, no matter who has been governor, we have sought to partner with the leaders of our community of Cheyenne and of Wyoming to make it a better place to live 
to seek and serve the, the peace and prosperity of this place where God has put us. It's why we will continue to spearhead the I Heart Wyoming initiative, partnering with and resourcing other churches around our state to elevate, expand, and reinforce the credibility of God's church. That when people around our city, when people around Wyoming, when they think about the church, when they think about Christians, when they think specifically about Element Church, they may not be able to agree with what we believe, but oh, how I pray, church, they won't be able to deny the benefit we bring to our community. That they, they, they might say, I would never go to that church, but I hope that church never goes. That, that I won't believe what they believe, but my goodness, their behavior is so radically different. I wish more of those people lived in our community. But sadly, sadly, because of how many Christians respond to our government, because of how many Christians choose to live in their community, what we promote, what we are known for, I'm not sure that's what's usually thought of when it comes to Christians or churches. As Christians today, we are known way more for what we are against than what we are for. Sadly, we're known more for how we vote than how we serve our community. What if we were just known for being for our city and for our state and for our country, regardless of who was in authority. Our response to the government is not based on who's in the White House, it's based on who's in my heart. And since Christ is in my heart and for his glory, how should I respond? Submit as to God. Seek to do good. We still okay? Everybody good? I got one more for you. Romans 13, 6 and 7, as if Paul wasn't mean enough. Oh, by the way, pay your taxes too. For these very same reasons, which by the way, interesting side note, a tax revolt had occurred in Rome. And so this comment from Paul was probably directed towards that revolt and the knowledge that some Christians were participating in it and not paying their taxes. And remember, Jesus actually said about taxes, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. And Caesar was a wicked ruler, okay? So pay your taxes too. For government workers need to be paid. They are serving God and what they do. Don't have time to dive into that, but that's deep. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them. And here it is. Give respect and honor to those who are in authority. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> Let me ask a question. If people heard how we talked in private about those who are in authority, would they say we are respectful and honoring? And you can put your boss in this, your teacher, your coach, your parents, because they're in authority too. If our social media posts, texts, emails about the president, the governor, the mayor, the Congress, if they were put on the screen today, would we vote that you're being respectful and honoring? <laughs> You should see all the faces, by the way. <laughs> Again, remember who was in authority at this time? Nero. He hadn't earned any respect. 
He did not deserve any honor. But God through Paul says, give respect and honor to Nero. If we did this, if we just did this, respect and honor, do you think that would stand out in the culture and day in which we live? You better believe it would, regardless of who the president is. So the third way we respond to the government, number three is this, we show others our godliness. We show others our godliness. Paul uses the word godliness in another letter, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. He says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them, which we're all on board with that until the next verse. Oh, pray this way for kings, presidents, and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by what? Godliness and dignity. Concerning the government, Paul said we should live peaceful and quiet lives <laughs> marked by godliness and dignity. Meaning, if I tie this into last week's message and what Fred taught us, some of us just need to learn the ministry of shut up. Right? Give respect and honor. Paul even said, even in your prayers, may they reflect respect and honor, godliness and dignity. So let me probe deeper. If people heard our prayers for the president, the previous president, our leaders, are we asking God to help them, like genuinely asking God to help them? Several years ago, convicted by some of the passages we looked at today from the Bible, I just put into practice that regardless of who's in authority, and I was convicted by this, regardless of who's in authority, I started praying that our city, our state, and our country would succeed under the leadership of whoever was in office. Not that all their policies would work, but that our country would be prosperous, prosperous and peaceful under their leadership. And yes, that means if God answered that prayer in the affirmative, that someone might get reelected that I necessarily wouldn't vote for, but I'm not called to control who's in office. I'm called to control myself. So as much as I can in my actions and prayers, I will work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I've been placed. Am I interceding for those in authority? Intercede means to stand in the gap for them in prayer. So again, one of the things I began praying for leaders is that God would protect them from any attack of the enemy, spiritually, emotionally, physically, or mentally. I pray every week for a specific leader in our government that they would know God as they should, that they would not just have a professed faith, but a practiced faith. This, by the way, is what Paul said when he was on trial in Caesarea, on trial for preaching the gospel. He stood before the king, the king had the power to release him, and Paul said, I pray that you would be the same as me except for these chains. 
Meaning, I pray you would know Jesus the way I do and not be in jail for it. When Obama was in office, I've shared this before, every single week I prayed for his daughters, Malia and Sasha. You know what I prayed for them? This is what I prayed every week. God, please don't let what your children say about their dad keep them from wanting to follow you. Because if they heard what your children said about their dad, why in the world would they want anything to do with this Jesus we say we follow? That should sting, church. And it should be true for whoever's in office. The last one might be the hardest one. It says, pray that God would help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. <laughs> Are we thanking God for our leaders? Even the ones we don't agree with, even the ones that oppose God. Thank God for them. Remember, Paul said this about Nero. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Show them respect and honor so that our lives are marked by godliness and dignity. Our response to the government is not based on who's in the White House, it's based on who's in my heart. And since Christ is in my heart and because of the glory of God and for God's glory, we will not be united on policies or parties, but church, we can be and should be united in our response that the glory of God changes us. And it changes us so radically that no matter who is an authority, because of God's glory, we can be united in our submission as to God. We can be united as we seek to do good, working for the peace and prosperity of whatever community we find ourselves in, and we can be united as we show others our godliness, that God has done something so radically different in our lives that we should stand out, yes, in our morality, but also in the way we work in our communities and respond to those who are in authority. Why? Because everything comes from him exists by his power, and it is intended for his glory. All glory forever to him. Not all glory to the Republican Party. Not all glory to the Democratic Party. Not even all glory to the great United States of America. All glory to him forever. Amen. Which means, by the way, so be it. Let it be done. Or in the, the King Jeff verse with King Fred last week, King Jeff, drop the mic. <laughs> Father in heaven, I've been challenged by this. This, this is hard. Lord, we are so thankful that we live in a country that we are free. Like, I can preach on politics today and we are not afraid of anybody rushing in to arrest us or kill us. And that's not true everywhere. 
So Lord, thank you for the freedom we have. Thank you for the place you've put us. But Lord, I'm sorry for the way we've abused that. I repent on behalf of your church and myself for the way we have not shown your glory in how we respond. This is, this is a tough line to walk, God. We need your help. We will not be able to submit without your power. We will not be able to do anything worth any good without your presence. And Lord, we cannot show any form of godliness on our own. We need you to work through us by your glory. So forgive us, God. Empower us to live for you. Lord, help us, help us. Model to a world something so beautifully different that it is appealing. And when they ask, how do you do that? Our response is only you. Your presence, your glory, your good, your fame. In Jesus' name we pray.